I'm Scott Kahn, and this is an unusual episode, a really short episode, and not really an episode at all episode of The Orthodox Conundrum. The Orthodox Conundrum is not supposed to be about me. I try to discuss issues that are relevant to the Orthodox world at large, and there's a lot going on now. For example, the whole Jofa episode and the questions about the future of Orthodox feminism, these deserve an extensive discussion, and Bezrat Hashem, we will get to them shortly. Just not today. Because sometimes personal events intrude, and I have to put podcast plans like that on hold. Today is one of those days. I know that you've been with me listening to the Orthodox Conundrum podcast, and though I generally prefer not to talk too much about myself on this podcast, today I would like to tell you why I'm recording this not-really-an-episode episode using a mediocre microphone, sitting in a waiting room, outside the ICU in a hospital in Melbourne, Florida, at 10 o'clock, April 24th. This is not going to be poetic. I think it's just a simple explanation about what's going on right now in our lives here. Henri Nguyen, the great Catholic theologian, I believe we cited him in two different episodes, one with Tim Madigan and another one with Rabbi Judah Michel, he said that the most personal is the most universal. So in that sense, I'm telling you about what's going on right now, not because this story is unique, completely the opposite. This happens to everybody. Everyone has these experiences. It just happens to be happening to me and my family today. The family got together for Pesach this year, the whole family, the first time in four years. My parents reside most of the year in Florida, and their house has three bedrooms, and since we are, thank God, 28 people, there was no way we could have gotten together in their house. 28 people, that is. Four kids, their spouses, the grandchildren, the spouse of a grandchild, and the fiancé of a grandchild. So my parents rented two houses near Orlando. We all met there for Yumtif. We bought a lot of food. We did a lot of cooking. I think my wife would say that I didn't do a lot of cooking, but some people did a lot of cooking. Right before candlelighting on Erev Yom Tov, at the beginning of Pesach, we all took a picture of the 28 of us. Then we had the Seder that night. It was really fantastic. We even made our own minion, and we're planning to make our own minion for all of Pesach. It was a bit touch and go, since we are exactly 11 bar mitzvah men, but we knew we could do it. Of course, when my nephew came down with COVID on the first night of Pesach, that became a little more tricky, but we still managed. We managed to have davening throughout the first two days of Yom Tov, along with the first day after Yom Tov on Monday morning, the first day of Cholomoed here in Florida. That day, the family had a long-standing plan to go rent a few speedboats off the eastern coast of Florida. Motorboats, see the dolphins, swim, have a good time. My father would pilot one boat, my brother-in-law would pilot another one, my other brother-in-law would pilot a third boat. And that morning, 21 of the 28 of us went out. Happens to be I wasn't there. That's not really relevant to the story, but it doesn't matter. I didn't go. The place where they rented the boats was about 80 miles away. It was a long drive. And by all accounts, they had a really great time. As they came back to dock, about 5 o'clock or so, everyone got off the boats. My father got off his boat. And as he walked off the boat, he suddenly collapsed. Fortunately, my brothers-in-law, one of whom is a physician, and the other one of whom is a nursing home administrator, 
were ready to take care of him right on the spot, immediately called 911, and he was rushed to the hospital. Now, as I said, I wasn't there at the time. I was out with my wife and daughter that day in Orlando. As we were driving back from where we had been, we got a call that my father had collapsed, but they thought at the time that it was dehydration, which would make sense given that he had not had a lot to drink that day. He's 83 years old. The sun was very hot. I wasn't overly worried, but I didn't get another call for a little bit, and I wasn't able to contact them, so I started getting a little bit more nervous. I got home, and after waiting a bit and trying to reach them, we suddenly got word that the situation was far, far more serious than we had initially believed. Whatever happened to my father on that dock, when he got in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, which was right nearby, he went into cardiac arrest. They were able to revive him, but when he got to the emergency room, they told the family members who were there, including my mother, that it looked like this was the end. And in fact, later on, my brother and my brother-in-law, who had seen my father collapse on the dock, also thought that it was over. He just looked like he wasn't there anymore. I quickly got a message to come to the hospital right away. That message was followed up, however, by a second message a couple minutes later, where as soon as my mother had been told that it did not look like my father was going to make it, he immediately started stabilizing. And while he was still in very critical condition, his blood pressure, which had been almost non-existent, started going up. In any event, I drove with my wife and my sister to the hospital about an hour and a half away. By the time we got to the hospital, my father was in the intensive care unit on a ventilator. And while he was stable now, his situation was very dire. They weren't sure what had caused this episode. I don't have to get into all of the medical details. As I said, this is a very short episode. Ultimately, they found out the next day that it was caused by a pulmonary embolism. And they were able to do a procedure which sucked out the blood clots from his lungs, thereby relieving the pressure on his heart. That, of course, isn't the end of the story, because while the embolism had been taken care of, or at least most of it, at the same time, my father now had pneumonia, he was still intubated, getting him back up on his feet is not simple and takes a long time. And full disclosure, it still hasn't happened. As I record now, six days after the original event, he's still on a ventilator. His numbers are much better, and they were able to turn off the ventilator today for two or three hours, and he was able to breathe on his own. But extubating him is another matter, and that's going to take some time, and they're going to try again tomorrow. We'll see what happens. He's certainly not out of danger yet, but thank God he's in a much better place now than he was six days ago when we didn't think he was going to make it through the night. So that's the reason I'm sitting here outside the ICU after I finish recording this, I'll go in and see my father, though he probably won't see me. I'm loath to start thinking of specific religious messages that come out of this, only because we don't know how the story is going to end. We don't know the conclusion quite yet. I will say, however, that I have been thinking a lot about the term magen yishenu, that we say every day, three times a day in Modim, the shield who saves us. And we also use those same terms in the first bracha of Shmon Esrei. You say, Melech, Ozer, Moshe, Omagain. I've always understood those four words to refer to an ascending order of divine providence. Melech means king. He's the one who watches over us, but sometimes seemingly from a distance, with not such direct involvement in our lives. Then there's Ozer, which means he helps us. We do part, and God does part as well. 
Then there's an even greater level of providence called Moshiach, where God does everything for us. These are the overt miracles, the things where we can really see God's hand in our lives. So what's Magain? What can be greater than that? Magain means he's a shield, which means he prevented the event from ever happening in the first place. The difference between Moshiach and Magain, saving and shield, is Moshiach would be that a car is coming at somebody and miraculously slams on the brakes just in time to save the person's life. Magain is an even higher level of providence. That's when the guy who was about to hit the person on the street couldn't find his car keys for a few seconds and therefore never even made it to that corner in time for the miracle to take place. So ironically, Magain is the highest level of providence, the greatest possible kindness, but we don't even know about it. We know about a lower level of providence. So relating back to that line in Modim, Magain Yishenu, the shield who saves us, a few weeks ago, before any of this happened, I was thinking about what that means, and I thought that probably, at least for me, that phrase means that when we're in the middle of a situation, it looks like Magain. We don't necessarily the vast majority of times, see God's hand. But in retrospect, with the benefit of hindsight, we understand that it was Yishenu. At the time, God's doing all sorts of things to help us out, which we don't recognize as such. Later on, we can see how it actually was Yishenu. It was a salvation for us. It was God doing something. But we can only see that once time has passed. That's the story of Purim, of course. People living at the time of Purim just saw some random events. Only with the benefit of hindsight do we see that it was all actually Yishenu, God saving us. At the time, it was Magain. We didn't even recognize that it was going on. Because of that, to say, oh, I see, I see divine help over here, I'm nervous to say that because what do we know? <laughs> We're in the middle of the story. What seems like divine help now, later on, might be revealed as a different kind of divine help, might be revealed as something completely different. We don't know. So that's my disclaimer, because apart from that, I still have to say, I have to acknowledge that things seem to really work out in a pretty amazing way. As my brother Gabe said to me just a few minutes ago, there was a 15-minute window when this event could take place. Had it happened before that 15-minute window or after that 15-minute window, my father wouldn't be here today. If it had happened on his way to the boat, or if it had happened while the boat was in the water. There was no way he could have gotten to the hospital in time. And if it had happened 10 minutes later, when he was on his way back on the highway, who knows what would have been? We're very, very fortunate that it happened exactly when it happened. We're very, very fortunate that my two brothers-in-law were there, the two people in the family most equipped to know what to do in this situation. They were the ones who were there. And in fact, my brother-in-law, who's a physician, was in the emergency room and recommended they do a course of treatment that, frankly, had they not done at that time, he probably wouldn't have made it. And then there's one more fact, which is pretty unusual. Six days ago, that first night, before the procedure to clear out my father's lungs, before they even knew that it was a pulmonary embolism, when the attending nurse heard that our family was originally from Boston, she said, oh, we're a local hospital, this isn't Boston. That said, the next day, when the doctor who did the procedure to clear out my father's lungs, when my brother-in-law asked her, If she had done this before, she mentioned that this particular hospital in Melbourne, Florida, is the hospital that does more of these procedures than any other hospital in the entire state. This random hospital, 80 miles away from where we're staying in Melbourne, Florida, a city which, frankly, I don't think I had ever heard of until a week ago. 
So it's not for me to say, I see how God has helped us in a specific way. We don't know. Maybe one day we'll be able to see it in retrospect. But if nothing else, I think we see a hint, a hint that God has been helping us, has been helping my dad, has been helping us get through this and has given us good care in ways that otherwise might not have happened. And we're very, very fortunate. That's my story. The most personal is the most universal. These are things that happen to all of us. These are things that happen to everybody at some points in their lives. I'm telling you this today for three reasons. First of all, because I want to tell you what's going on in my life. You've given me the chesed, the kindness of listening to my podcast. I owe you the explanation of what's going on right now. Second of all, as a way of saying that despite my disclaimer that I don't know if we can really say we understand the ways of God, in fact, I'm pretty sure we can't, I still want to say that we have tremendous thanks to Hashem for the fact that things have worked out the way they have. Despite the difficulties, we are very, very fortunate. And third of all, in order to ask you, please, to keep my father, Yisrael ben Yocheved, in your tefillot. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum.